it's lovely to come in to this retreat and to uh, join the, the field of practice. And immediately I have a sense of the sort of the, the landing and the gathering and the sense of collecting of, of shared intention and shared practice of days and weeks and years and decades and perhaps centuries and millennia that comes to bear on what's here right now. And I'd like to speak a little bit about aspiration and and intention in this context of retreat. I think it's useful when we begin or as we continue a period of sustained and focused spiritual practice, meditation, that we take a few moments to just pause and remember or recollect or just invite a sense of what what is our deepest aspiration without that having to be something that sounds grand or looks good or even forms itself in words. It might just be a sense of ah, something more is possible. It doesn't even come with that much language. But whatever it is, when we hear that, that sense of, and it's, you know, aspiration, it's sort of breathing in, aspire. We take something in. It has a, a brightening quality for the heart and the mind and that maybe we find words such as peace and well-being are what we find ourselves aspiring to. Perhaps the wish to awaken this heart and mind for the welfare of oneself and all beings, for the liberation of life and equally for the transformation of the world to bring peace and Justice, beauty and joy, universal well-being and the flourishing of life in all its forms. Or just simply, as one of my teachers, Manindra, a wonderful Bengali man, when asked why did he practice, he said, so that I can notice the little blue flowers in the hedgerows that are so beautiful. I think, I'm not sure I used the word hedgerow, but it was something like that. And so in that sense of just coming, connecting, noticing what it's like to bring that forth for yourself and being aware if there's any kind of fear of being a bit too sort of grand because it's okay to have profound, deep, beautiful and vast aspirations. It's important. And at the same time, be aware of any sort of thought that says, oh, that's a bit pedestrian and mundane. I'd just like to be a bit more comfortable in my body. It might be my aspiration for today. And hey, that's okay too. Wherever it comes, what's important is that it speaks to us. And in a sense, it has this quality that we, we recognize in the Dharma teachings and the Dharma, that sense of leading onwards. It sort of calls us from where we are to somewhere of what may be possible without taking ourselves away, without taking us away from where we are. So in a sense, it's a sort of a, an orientation, it's a direction, it's like a, oh, it's a vision. And as I said, I think this is something beautiful and important and just to notice for yourself what's there in relationship to that. And if nothing is there, 
that's fine. But didn't just notice the effect of the invitation of that question being asked just now in the form that it is. And just see if something comes in relationship to that over the days. And from that aspiration in terms of the Dharma teachings and Dharma practice, the Buddha's path of awakening and development, we can see that there are sort of primary aspects of the human potential that we orient towards the development of. And we can speak about them in in broad terms, in terms of what we call calm, collectedness, stability, a unification and an embodiment of the attentive capacity of this heart and mind that we talk about as samatha. This, in a way, this possibility that goes deeper and deeper and deeper. There's no end point in what is possible in that direction. And it's incredibly supportive for our well-being. And development. And we can talk about the development of kindness, of compassion, of appreciation, of joy, mudita, karuna, mudita, and uh, metta, these, these heart qualities and many others, of course, that we see are so helpful in our own lives and so needed in our world, and at times so difficult to make contact with or to find because of the strength and power of reactivity. And so we, again, we can just have this aspiration kind of comes down into more of an intention to the develop. And, and that d- intention is more of a specific, this is something that we can and will cho- and have chosen to do or to refrain from doing. That's what intention is. Because aspiration is the larger context in which we do it and as to why we do that. And of course, the realm of developing insight, wisdom, understanding, discernment, panya, we say. That, again, realm of seeing more fully and deeply what is true. And within those, those realms of, we could say, development that we can work on, there's another way we can understand here that these processes are also woven into what we could call a, a trajectory of awakening, which is not so much a development per se, but the potential for realization within our hearts and our minds and our world, the realization of, of awakening, of non-separateness, of freedom, of liberation, of Buddha nature, some might say, we use that language. And and to see that all of these directions are a specific frame or sort of elements within which that larger aspiration may be met, may be furthered. And just again noticing we, we may have particular intentions with regard to certain kinds of practices and placing them within that larger motivation or larger aspiration very consciously. came over on my bicycle this morning and sometimes when I come on my bicycle 
my whole system is kind of energized, energized, aspirated, oxygenated, and I wonder if I'm speaking more quickly than I need to be. So feel free at any time to let me know if there are more words coming than you can process, or if you need me to speak loud, more loudly, of course. But I'm just remembering my sort of own practice in the seat. I'm just pausing a moment because there's lots of things I'd say I'd love to talk to you about and I probably won't get to tell you all of what I might wish to in this morning, let alone in this life, but there we are. So all those practices, all those realms of practice, calm, kindness, insight, awakening, they have as a basis of a kind of a a need, we could say, or a basis, a foundation in being present. And what it is to connect with, and there's both a developing of and a realizing of wakeful embodied consciousness that we call presence. And of course the words aren't quite what that is, but they point us to it. And within this, the, the frame that we use or the language that we use very commonly from the Buddha's teachings and the, particularly the, the teachings on meditative development of, of sati, mindfulness, that sense of remembering is the other way it's translated. And I really like that word in this context because we have the sense of remembering to be present, remembering to reconnect, to come back. Because without that, of course, whatever intentions we have, we can't really enact them. We, we have to be here for that. We have to be conscious of what's going on for that. And there's also a way in which sati as wakefulness or mindfulness is also remembering and what the effect of, of wakefulness is and its fullness is that we remember. Realization could be understood as a process of remembering. And in that, the remembering, it's not just the, oh, I'd forgotten something and I remembered. Yeah, some of that. But remembering as in a counterpoint, we could say, to dismembering. And that's a slightly less comfortable word, dismembering. Something that is whole has been taken apart. And we know the cost of dismemberment, whether we've contemplated in those terms. That the remembering is the returning of the members the parts, to the wholeness. And this is equally a part of what the meditation practice and the range of practices and forms and orientations we may choose to engage with where they, in a sense, come together. And so we can talk about being wakeful. That's the word I like. But equally mindful, heartful, Bodyful, less common that last, but equally, I think, an important way to understand what we're doing. What's the basis for what we're doing, in fact? And seeing as we connect with our aspiration, then we start to form particular intentions. We start to say, okay, because I'm interested in this, therefore I'll engage in this way. Because I love have a sense of this possibility therefore it 
this is what speaks to me as a, as a form, as a frame, as a, a particularity for practice that I want to pick up. And so we can make specific intentions for practice. And in a personal retreat context, it may be that we've, in some conversation with a teacher previously, decided this is what I'm going to do. And it may not be, and it's not that we need to do so in conversation with a teacher, but it can be really helpful to support the teacher in being able to guide what you're interested in or guide your practice, is to let them know, oh, this is what my intention is. This is what I'm wanting to work on. This is how I'm seeking to engage with this time and this opportunity. And it may be as, as simple as, you know, I just want to sit and walk and let the Dharma unfold. This was one of the things Joseph Goldstein used to say, probably still says, you know, one of the elders of our tradition. I remember him just, you know, just, just sit and walk and let the Dharma unfold. It was like give yourself to the practice and then see what it offers you. See what comes. And that's beautiful and can be powerful and profound. And equally it could be Okay, I want to engage in a specific practice. There's a particular meditative technique or set of tools I want to develop, I want to refine, I want to see where that goes, how that goes, what's useful. Or there's a particular framework of contemplation I want to pick up and focus on here. So I might want to walk or do a certain practice in the walking or the sitting or the standing or the day. And I might want to have a particular lens through which I look. And I want maybe wanting to contemplate the impermanence of phenomena in nature or their empty, insubstantial nature, sunyata. Or, or what allows the heart to open? It might be a question like that. What allows my heart to open might be my question for my practice. So what will be the expiration that follows from that? And it can be that particular. And for a period of time we can say, I'm not going to be interested in too much else. And that's fine. Although everything else may not go along with that particular position, it's a fine place to begin and to work from. And so one thing I would say about this, which in one sense doesn't need to be said, but I find myself having this conversation often with people individually, So I thought it could usefully maybe mention it here. As human beings, we have a tendency to want to know the right way and the best way. And of course, if I knew the right way and the best way, I'd tell you straight away. I wouldn't hold back. And, you know, I'd completely understand if someone says, I want to know what the right way and the best way is. But the truth of it is there are many ways. And there isn't just one way that is the way, unless one articulates it so broadly as to be saying almost nothing. And there isn't the best way because it would seem reasonably clear that in the range of all the ways just within the Buddhist teachings and practices and lineages, just within that, there are so many ways that there is no way a single human being could explore them all in one lifetime and say, oh, I've done them all now. I know where they all go and this is the best one. No. It doesn't happen like that. So what we can say is there's not a single teaching or practice or technique 
that's the best or the only. But there are so many wonderful teachings, teachers, practice traditions that are good, that are helpful, that are beneficial, that lead towards what we're interested in. And that's, I think, where we can rest. And that's where I can sit here with absolute conviction and confidence and say what we're offering is good and it leads onwards. It's not the only thing that's good. It's not the only thing that does that. But this does that. What we're engaging in here, it does that. And it really doesn't matter if other ways do likewise or not. And in this context, we can have a vision of, again, a really deep and a wide vessel of many possibilities, could call the Dharma, and within it, the th- what seems to work and be useful here for me. And I often reflect on this sort of one of the qualities that the, the historical Buddha, and in a way the Buddha archetype, is attributed is to be the perfect teacher of humans and gods and beings who wish to be taught. So it's really interesting. First of all, you've got to wish to be taught. Not the perfect teacher of people who don't want to be taught. Um, Some of them really didn't like the Buddha. And that's fine. But what it also says, able to teach every person or being as they needed to be taught is the other side of that. That's why perfect. And it's like, That's really interesting because what that suggests is each person needs to be taught differently. And these days we don't have the fully enlightened Buddha available to consult. At least I don't. Maybe you have access in some way and great, I'll talk to you later hopefully. Um, But if that's the case that we don't, then we have to find our own way and understand with the guidance and input of friends, of teachers, of our own experience, that what is possible, what is useful, what is skillful here and what leads onwards will look different for different people. And there's really no value or need to get into comparing who's doing what, for how long, in which posture. It's just, ah. And what they're doing on the inside, which we can't see at all, mostly. It's like, that's not the game here. It's like, okay, let's trust there's something good here and many expressions of it. And in a sense, ultimately, in that way, we have an invitation to, to understand, to develop, to explore, to cultivate and establish what is skillful, what leads towards that which we're interested in and care about. That's what we mean by skillful. So we're not putting it in terms of good or bad, which so easily has a sort of a moral connotation or an absolute sort of right and wrong kind of thing. It's more like, oh, does this lead to what I'm interested in? Does this support what I care about, what I value, what is precious to my life, what is sacred to my life? However we might speak that or understand it. And so we may, in that, be involved in a process of contemplating, reflecting, understanding on, coming to see what isn't skillful and learning how to weaken, to relinquish, to let go of that in the way of patterns of behavior, ways of viewing the world, ways of practicing we might discover.
that don't seem to serve. Habits of attention, of body, of heart, of mind, of thought, of view. If they don't lead in the direction we wish to go, to see this is important. And equally to establish, to cultivate, to deepen, to strengthen, to support those habits of attention, of body, of heart, of thought and of view. Not just as habits but as conscious, engaged ways that support and deepen what we care about, that leads onwards. So from that point of view, one of the fundamental teachings and teachers we have that sort of is overarching to the process of finding our own way is what the Buddha spoke about as wise attention. And I, I always find it really interesting. The Buddha didn't say, this is how you do wide attention, wise attention, not wide attention. No, that's quite good as well at times. And it looks like this. He talked about it purely and precisely in terms of what is the outcome. So wise attention is those subjects of attention when paid to an attention to in a particular way that it leads to the lessening, the reduction, the dissipating and the falling away of greed, craving, selfishness, of aversion, anger, hatred, of delusion, confusion, disconnection and disregard. The what things we pay attention to and the way we pay attention to them that leads to the falling away of that, this is wise attention. And the ways of paying attention that lead to the strengthening, the growth, the reinforcement of, of these. That is unwise attention. So we need to look and see what's happening as the result of the way I'm paying attention and the topics or the subjects of my attention. And this is why training and wakefulness is foundational for everything because that is the process whereby we begin to both see and have some ability to influence, if not control, what's happening with our attention and whether in fact it's aligned with wise attention or not in any given moment. I.e. what is the effect of how I'm paying attention and what I'm paying attention to. And this, of course, is not an easy journey to undertake. It's not something, and we know this, I think, by the time we've got to a retreat such as this, that it's not something we just kind of come and, oh, well, maybe we don't entirely. It's like we've done a few retreats and think, oh, I'll go and sit for two weeks or I'll go and sit for a month. Well, that'll do it. Um, and it might, of course. I think it's great to have a sense of possibility because we don't know. You know, the teachings talk about the Buddha's journey of hundreds and thousands of lifetimes and it's true it may be I don't know it may not be but that's certainly a possibility from where I'm sitting that that's what it takes hundreds and thousands of lifetimes but the interesting thing is we don't know if this is number 999,000 or not this might be the one the Buddha didn't know either until his own awakening 
that that was what was there, but he came to it from a place of a sense of, huh, something is possible here. Something is possible here. Without knowing exactly what that would look like or how that was to be discovered, realized, understood, nonetheless, there was that sense of, huh, yeah. And I think this is, this is something really important to reflect on, to contemplate here again in the beginning or in the continuing of our practice, however we might see it. We might be beginning our retreat but continuing our practice or we might have been on retreat some time and we're just here continuing as we go along in our retreat and our practice. And You know, the Buddha spoke of this, you know, to say that it is possible to free this heart and mind from greed, from hatred, from delusion. It is possible. If it were not possible, he said, I wouldn't ask you to do this. But it is possible. And so I do ask you to do this. And so that sense of to ourselves, that sense of possibility, it is possible. We don't know exactly how that will play out. But something of that I think is really important to at the very least consider as a possibility. And there's a way in which we're, we're here, you know, on a journey. We don't know how long it will be. Of course we know it might be two weeks a guy house or a month a guy house or the, in the midst of three months a guy house or you know, years of sustained intensive practice or decades. We don't know how long it will be. We don't know even that absolutely for sure because tomorrow something could happen and maybe our retreat doesn't continue. I hope that's not the case, but sometimes that happens. So we don't know how long the journey will be and we don't know where it will lead. And in such a context, of course, one of the most helpful things is to travel lightly. I was out walking with a friend yesterday and uh, he'd only brought one pair of very light, very comfortable, very nice for walking shoes, but very light and not entirely waterproof. And so sometimes we have to put up with having the less than ideal options just to reduce how much we're carrying. Or a way to put it is to take on a little bit of voluntary discomfort in order to not be carrying too much baggage. And what that means is to not kind of be holding too tightly to an idea of expectations, demands, outcomes, where this is going and what it's going to look like. Because there's something a little uncomfortable about not having a sense of in the end of two weeks I'm going to be there, it's going to look good, it's going to feel good, I'm going to get to take something home and tell my friends. All of that kind of stuff at the end of four weeks, at the end of ten years, da da da, in a sense it gives a certain comfortable sort of containment to the, the sense of self that's looking for a way to hang or to frame its existence. And there's something a little uncomfortable in putting that down and just saying, wow, I really don't know what's going to happen here. But in that there's a discomfort in that, but there's also an exposing of ourselves, a sort of a vulnerability that we take on in its healthiest sense. Perhaps better described as an openness. If, it, if we 
if we feel threatened by it, it feels like vulnerability. But if we just acknowledge its simple objective, or we could say also subjectiveness, it's, it's vulnerability. It's being open to what's here. To be willing to learn from, to be willing to grow with, to be willing to awaken through every experience, each experience, all experience. This is the raw material of the path. Whatever may appear initially as obstruction, as distraction even, or as imagined failure, ultimately is the raw material of the path. The noisy crows that make it are they rooks or maybe they're jackdaws that distract us, that irritate us in one moment might become the music that delights our heart. Or we might love them and then at some point we've had enough and that's no longer the case. Whatever the experiences are. <coughs> whatever the experiences are. This will be your retreat. This will be your practice. And so, recognizing that to be the case, there's an invitation to wholeheartedness. To, in a sense, hold nothing back and to leave nothing out in our journey. To give ourselves wholeheartedly. This is an offering. You know attention? We talk about attention. What do we talk about? We talk about paying attention. We talk about giving attention. It's currency. It's actually the most valuable thing we have that we can offer to the world and to ourselves. It's the vehicle through which everything is possible. And so the sense of giving ourselves here, this offering of ourselves, to the practice as an act of immense and wise generosity is a way we could understand this taking on the wholeness of what's here of what comes to us to be wholehearted to be unconditional in our willingness to meet what comes and so far as we are unconditional, to this extent our life becomes unconditioned. And we might express that in terms that make commitments or dedications or a sense of, oh, this is how I'm going to practice. At least for a period of time, maybe not for my whole life, maybe not the whole of it. Hey, I want to get up early because I know the morning time is a good time to practice. Or I want to really give myself permission to change my posture when I need to, rather than fight with myself over whether I'm going to disturb everyone else by moving my leg. I just want to say, when you need to move, move. And that's my practice, or one aspect of it. Something maybe just that specific. And this quality of making an intention and then kind of 
firming it into what we call resolve, something the Buddha spoke about and encouraged. Make resolve. It's like, yes, not just a casual, ah, oh, yeah, I think I'll do it if it feels okay and I fancy it, you know, and if I don't, well, I'll do something else. I was uh, talking with Catherine, my wife, uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, she was wanting to take on a practice of every morning getting on her bike and riding up the hill outside her house. And she asked if I would join her, and I, and I said, mm, but what if I don't want to? And she said, but that's the point. You don't do it just because you want to. You just decide to do it. I didn't, but um, that was something she wanted to do. It wasn't something I wanted to do. So we kind of have to also be careful of taking on someone else's idea of what to do. But at the same time, something beautiful and asking the support of others. It's maybe not something we can, are going to do here in an active way, but like taking on and asking for the support from others can be through sharing with a teacher. This is what I'm going to do here. And the teacher isn't going to give you a hard time if you don't do it, certainly if it's me. It's more like, but oh, there's a sort of an accountability that means at least someone else will know what happened. And you can tell them and say, oh, I tried this, it went wonderful, or actually I didn't do it once. But there we are, we learned something there. And in this context, it always comes to my mind, the Buddha's words, the, the night he sat down under the tree, the Bodhi tree. And he set an intention, he made a resolve, he sat there and he said, I will not move from this place until I have realized what can be realized by human endeavor. I will not move from this place. Though my blood runs dry, though my bones turn to dust, I will not move from this place until I have realized what can be realized by human endeavor. And I notice when I share these words, and I've spoken them many times, I feel the, something, the power and the beauty of that just, boof, this, I will do. And we know what the outcome of that commitment was and the challenges that, are, that it gave rise to and the fruit that it bore. And so when I share it, it feels also important to say that doesn't mean that we have to sit there unmoving now until we're fully liberated. Because so far as we have these images behind us, the Buddha and Kuan Yin, they don't move at all. And it's really easy to get the idea that's what we're supposed to be doing. They're not going to move. They're not going to change their posture. They're not actually alive. But they're representing something that is steady, sustaining, unwavering that we can connect with and in that then the orientation may be to do with not a physical place or a literal posture that I will not move from it's my commitment to what I aspire to and to the intentions I make in the service of this that the commitment to that I will not move from this place yes that can be really helpful. 
And whatever unfolds around that is details, actually. As I mentioned yesterday, I was out for a walk. Uh, I was in, with my friend we walking in the Dart Valley. It's beautiful. I mean, the, one of the last places of temperate rainforest in this, in this country. And so lush and so green and so also colourful with the autumn colours and the green together. And the river, so full of water, the Dart, this amazing, wild expression of life and as we walked and at times just stopped and sat and just there's some places where the the water comes around a curve and over some rocks and and you can sit therefore in a place where the water's kind of coming towards you before it then turns and goes that way so you're not in the river but you're as if in it and just feeling the the force and the power and the beauty and the terrifyingness at one level and just also the simplicity of this body of water I kind of had the sense of also what it is for us to step into the, the river the current of awakening what it is to feel the what might be just the, the sort of the gentle trickle within that at times may show itself as a as an unstoppable river or we might find different languages there might be a sort of a, a spark or a little flame that goes yeah something here something's possible and at that might at times burn fiercely and bright however we might experience or sense that this call that I, I believe is there for us all as human beings and beings non-human too that speaks to us of what is possible that invites us to discover to know, to live and to realise more and more of what it is to be awake, alive, human, here, this and stepping into the stream we step in with each other we step in together with the wise and blessed women and men and human beings of all genders, all beings seen and unseen who have practiced the Dharma, walked this path and the times and locations in all regions and all, all eras of this, of this world and throughout the realms of the cosmos and beyond all beings who have walked this path, we step in together with them into that current, into that flow. And we also, as we contribute to it, carried by it. And this journey is a journey beyond and equally simply returning to where we are already.
beyond what we know and have known and yet simply returning to where we are to what is true and what is here So I again extend to you my best wishes and blessings in your practice. There will be individual interviews in a few minutes, uh, quite a few minutes in fact. The interviews will generally take place in the library or upstairs in the first floor of the Denbury Wing, room 35 A and B, which used to be the old teacher wing for those of you who remember it, but for those who don't know it, up the main stairs, which is opposite the lounge and library, and there's a little bench at the top of the stairs, you can have a seat there while waiting, and we'll find you from there. For now, let's just have a few moments quietly to finish. May our ongoing practice here and beyond, may it be in the service of our own deep well-being, the welfare of all beings and the well-being of all that lives and all that is. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.